would invite you to turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Kings and chapter 18, as together we read this morning, or continue on in our reading of 1 Kings. As you uh, remember, our focus at this point in the Word is on the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom that had split from the southern kingdom and had instituted their own worship, a, a false worship of the true God, worshiping using uh, images that were set up at altars at strategic locations in the, uh, the country, and a line of ungodly kings who did not serve the Lord had sprung up. Omri had been very bad, but his son Ahab was by far the worst. He had married a Sidonian woman by the name of Jezebel, a princess who was determined to institute Baal worship throughout the northern kingdom. And she'd been successful in doing it, persecuting the people of the Lord, putting the prophets who were proclaiming the truth to death and attempting to switch everybody over to Baal worship. Uh, The Lord had raised up, though, his witness Elijah to stand in the breach. He brought a, a terrible drought upon the land, and uh, the choice of a drought was not random. Baal was supposed to be a rain god, and the Lord had shown that this god had no power to do anything because he was nothing. And we're going to see that uh, in his uh, famous conflict with the prophets, that is Elijah's famous conflict with the prophets of Baal, where he goes head-to-head with them on Mount Carmel and uh, shows the people of God that Baal is absolutely powerless But the Lord God created the heavens and the earth, and he does what he wishes. But before we turn to the word of the Lord, let's turn to the Lord who gave us this word, and let's ask for his help. God, our Father, we know you are the God who hears and who responds to his people. And as we come to you this morning, we pray, Lord, that we have ears to hear. The people who were on that mountaintop when Elijah originally confronted the prophets of Baal, certainly they were not bored, and they were not... Uh, unimpressed by what was taking place before them. And by the time things were done, they were amazed and convinced that you were the Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would do the same thing with us as we hear your word once again, that you would remind us that these things actually happened. And therefore, they were not simply for the people in Elijah's time, but in our time as well, especially when our time is so much like his in so many different ways. Now, Lord, we pray, be with us, drive away stray thoughts, keep us awake, help us, O Lord, to be amazed at what you have done. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name, amen. Reading from 1 Kings, verses 16 through 29, I remind you, this is the word of the Lord. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, is that you, O troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him, not a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let them give us two bulls and let them choose one bull for themselves. Cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. 
and I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one bull for yourselves and prepare it first, for you are many, and call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. So they took the bull which was given them, and they prepared it, and called on the name of Baal from morning even till noon, saying, O Baal, hear us! But there was no voice, no one answered. They leaped, then they leaped about the altar which they had made. And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is meditating, or he is busy, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they cried aloud and cut themselves, as was their custom, with knives and lances, until the blood gushed out on them. And when midday was past, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. The street preacher, Ryan Schiavo, was in England, and he went to Canterbury, as we read uh, in the folder, and he stood upon the street corner, one man alone with one helper, and he declared the Lord's truth in the midst of a very hostile population, a people who had turned against worshiping God and who did not want to hear what that particular prophet in his own day had to say. Here you have an entire country, my, my homeland, that used to worship the God of the Bible. It used to be the, the main missionary sending nation on the face of the planet, a place that was dotted with hundreds and hundreds of churches and cathedrals and so on, but now a place where the word of God is hated and despised, and where prophets are mocked and attacked, and where the king, because of course England still has a king, and his servants seek out these, these prophets and messengers and attempt to drive them away. I point that all out because I want you to understand, although Elijah was preaching long ago in a land that's far away from us, quite distant, it is not a very different age that we live in today. You remember the northern kingdom of Israel had once been part of the covenant kingdom. They had once been a people who had traveled to Jerusalem on a regular basis during the, the cycles of worship. And there they had gone and they had worshipped the one true God according to his instructions. They had been the people of God, but now they have gone astray. They worship false gods. Baal and Asherah, they were entering into all sorts of sexual perversion in the midst of that worship. We've discussed that before. But the Lord was not willing to let them all go into the darkness. He did not leave them to fall further and further in their own evil. Instead, he sent to them a messenger. He sent to them a man with a voice, a man who was willing to speak the truth. And he showed them decisively, as we will see next week, he showed them that he was indeed the true God and that he was willing to give a sign to his people that would indicate that. Now, where did this all take place? Well, we remember that Elijah went to the king and he said, gather the prophets of Baal and the people of Israel to me on Mount Carmel. Carmel means the garden land. It's a low range of mountains that runs north, uh, northwest to southeast along uh, the Mediterranean Sea to the fertile plain of Esdralon. We, uh, we were recently in Israel 
but unfortunately, we did not get to see Mount Carmel. Um, although, it, it, when we say Mount Carmel, we shouldn't picture it as like, you know, one of the, the mountains in the Himalayas or even the Rocky Mountains or anything like that. The mountains in Israel are relatively low. Uh, they're grassy. They don't have uh, much in the way of trees and so on. Uh, and, but it is a place where it is easy for this contest to have taken place. There is an area where it is classically uh, felt that it took place called El Makrara, uh, that is the place of burning, and it is a level pl- plateau about halfway up Mount Carmel where this large crowd could easily have gathered. When uh, Elijah said, gather all Israel to me, he was not saying, gather every man, woman, and child up to this mountain, but uh, all the most important people, the elders, uh, the leaders, the representatives truly of the nation of Israel, bring them to me, and of course, bring up the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of his consort, Asherah. Baal was considered the male god, Asherah, the female, and together they were the the fertility god who brought, uh, if their worshippers were good enough and did the right things, they would would bless them, supposedly, with a harvest. And that hadn't been happening, you remember, for the three years. Uh, It was by the Brook Kishon, uh, which still flows, I'm told. There's quite a few uh, springs in the area, which mean that even in times of drought, there's ample water there. I think that's one of the reasons, obviously, that the prophet chose it, because he knew exactly what he was going to do. There were altars up there. There was a new altar to Baal that had been erected, and there had been, obviously, an altar to the Lord at some point that had been broken down. So that's where the contest took place, halfway up a mountain in a cleared area where there was lots of water. In order to uh, make sure that nobody could say that the competition was rigged, you know how it is when you, you, know, you enter into a contest with somebody and you beat them, they're like, well, it's because you had the first move or you, know, you had this unfair advantage or something like that. He says, I'm, I'm going to give you every possible advantage in this particular contest. So he sets the conditions of the contest uh, in concession to the prophets of Baal. First off, he says, of course, you get to choose your own bull. So uh, it's not like you had the wrong bull or something. You can use whatever gleanings and divinations that you use in order to choose your sacrificial animals. Select from these two bulls which one is yours. And then, of course, build your own uh, fire. Put the, stack the wood however you want to on the altar and then place, after you've sacrificed the bull, that is after you've slit its throat, put it on the uh, fire. Or it's possible that the worshippers of Baal strangled their, uh, uh, their um, sacrifices. But do whatever you need to. And, you know, I'll stand aside. And then you pray first. And pray for as long as you wish. Do, do whatever you need to. Whatever incantations, whatever prayers, whatever dances. But this is the one thing that you can't do. Normally in a, in a, in a sacrifice by fire, of course, the worshiper would provide the fire. He would put it underneath the animal, uh, its carcass, once it had been laid out, after it had been uh, particularly uh, disposed of as the worshippers were instructed to do by their God. And he tells them, don't do that. Don't put the flame under. Let your God, Baal, answer with fire. Now, the interesting thing is they aren't afraid of this. They were probably thinking that is the prophets of Baal. Well, our God is a storm God. One thunderclap, you know, and he can uh, send a lightning bolt down and, and ignite the fire, and that'll be that. And we'll prove that our God is God once and for all. 
But Elijah is particularly, he's not that concerned, obviously, with the, the priests of Baal, many of whom would have been sent from Sidon uh, by Jezebel's relatives. Uh, and he, he's not concerned with speaking to them so much as he is the people of Israel, the former worshipers of the Lord, and the people who are now standing between two different positions. Baal worship is being introduced. It's becoming more and more popular. It's a very sensual religion. But he says to them, how long are you going to falter between two positions? That is, how long are you going to limp or waver? How long are you going to be on the fence? How long are you going to not decide whether Yahweh is God or Baal is God? Because they can't both be God. Yahweh has made it very clear, and we'll read a few verses in a little while, that there is no God besides me. And you are not to worship any other God. And Baal... Well, he was the god of the Sidonians and so on, but he was completely antithetical, completely opposed to Yahweh. If Yahweh exists, Baal does not. If Baal exists, Yahweh does not. The god who is God, worship him. And he proposes this contest, and the people of Israel say, all right, that seems fair. Let the god answer. If he really is the one who is God, let him answer. So, it's funny that only Elijah and the prophets of Baal are, are absolutely convinced that, you know, that their gods exist. Uh, they believe, obviously, and this is very important to remember, that they, both sides believe that their god is the answer to the problems that the people face, or the problems as they, as they see them. The worshippers of Baal would have said, well, we need this land to worship Baal for it to become exclusive and widespread, not only so that we'll benefit from it as the priesthood, but also so that the people will benefit from it. The God will bring rain. They will also, they'll have a different set of morals. Their, their sexual mores will change radically. Their worship will change radically. It'll become so much more exciting. If you would explain to a worshiper of Baal or a priest of Baal what went on at the temple in Jerusalem, the way they worshiped there, I am sure their, their first thought would have been, oh, how boring. I mean, come on, you don't have any, there's no clashing symbols, there's no dancing about like madmen, there's no cutting yourselves in order to, you know, uh, show the, 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 the love that you have for, for Baal, the, uh, your willingness to actually sacrifice your own blood on his behalf, uh, and <laughs> there's, there's no sex during your worship. What, what kind of worship is that? Uh, and unfortunately, you'll see that as religion declines, unfortunately, it becomes more and more sensual. Men thinking that like the builders of uh, the, uh, the Tower of Babel, that they can climb up into heaven, that they can impress God with the things that they do. And looking more and more for the things that they can, they can see, they can hear, they can feel, they can taste. They don't want a revealed religion that God speaks to them and tells them what to do. They want rather to do the things that excite them and please them in the worship of Baal. That's what the Baalists would be saying. And here we have Elijah, and he is very zealous for the Lord. And he's zealous for a Lord not only that he, uh, he's convinced exists, but a God who has shown him he exists. God, you remember, had fed Elijah at the book Cherith. He had seen the ravens bringing him meat during that time. Then he had been sent to Phoenicia, the very heart of Baal worship, and had gone to one of the towns, Zarephath, where the largest of the Baal temples was located. The place was literally filled with Baal idolatry. 
And yet Elijah had been safe in that place. He saw how Baal could not bring rain to that particular city that was the bastion of his worship that had all of his worshipers. And yet he saw also how how, uh, God, on the other hand, could feed him and the widow's household and take care of their needs for as long as he was there. And then when this terrible tragedy occurred and the widow's son died, he saw how Yahweh, how Jehovah God had brought back this young man from the dead. He had visible evidences to strengthen his faith and his conviction. The Lord had given him signs to show him that he was God. And so therefore... Elijah could say in his heart, knowing the revelation of God, he would have been somebody who had read already the Psalms of David. He knew, for the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. So as he goes into this contest, he knows he worships the God who is there, the God who speaks, the God who cares, the God who answers his people. And there's no question in his mind who will win this particular contest, the contest of, of the sacrifice by fire. But note the Baalists, they, they don't lack conviction either. They were probably eager for this contest. They believed that the God who doesn't exist does. So they were numerous, and Elijah, unfortunately, wrongly believes he's the last of the prophets of God. I, I alone am left, we'll see him saying in a little while. As he said here again, I'm the last of the, of the prophets. He wasn't the last of the prophets. But sometimes when things are really evil, it's possible to think you are the last of the true worshipers of God in any given place. I have been in situations and companies where that kind of, uh, that kind of despair, I, I hate to say it, I've been in denominational occurrences, not within the ARP, admittedly, but uh, where I'm like, am I alone left the prophet of God and stuff like that? And, and unfortunately, that can lead to bad things. You get into a self-pity spiral or you begin, you know, there's no, to think there's no hope. All of the people have gone astray. But the Lord will show him in a little while, Elijah, you're not the last. I will always preserve a remnant for myself, says the Lord God. He's never going to let the faith decline and dwindle until it's just one man in the midst of the nation. But note this, and this should show you the courage of Elijah. He really does think he's the last of the prophets, and yet he's still willing to do this. Sorry, He's still willing to take on 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah. How many total prophets is that, kids? Oh, come on, this is not that hard. I can do it, and I'm terrible at math. Yes, David. 850 is the correct answer. 850 to 1. And yet he is still willing to enter into this contest because one man with the true God is always in the majority. Understand that. Now, they begin their dance, and they go about the circle, circumambulating it, probably praying, and uh, they do that from morning to noon. And Elijah, you know, watches it probably with a, a little smirk on his face for a little while. And then eventually he starts taunting them. There's a little uh, godly sarcasm that begins to flow from the uh, prophet. Um, he, uh, there, there's, at one point he says, you know, surely he's a god, isn't he? I mean, he hears, doesn't he? Or is he, is away? Is he away? Is, it, is his secretary taking his calls at the moment, not passing them on? Um, and there's one uh, in the Hebrew, it, it comes out. 
Uh, he is busy. Is he in the bathroom? Is he taking a while in there? Is that where he's, he's gone to relieve himself or something? But what he's doing, obviously, is he's, he's mocking this God who isn't there. He's trying to show them that uh, this is no God at all. And so, therefore, he mocks this false God. And they become enraged. They, they begin to cut themselves in order to impress God. Um, it, those of you who have been in the Muslim world may know of the uh, Shia festival of Ashura, uh, where the worshippers of, uh, of uh, Allah, who uh, follow Shia, who believe that Ali was the, uh, should have been the imam uh, instead of the man who succeeded uh, Muhammad, uh, they, uh, they celebrate or they lament, rather, the death of Ali, the prophet, by cutting themselves. They dance about, they scream, they cut themselves until the blood is flowing from them. That's the kind of thing that was happening here. And just as those uh, worshippers of, uh, of Allah, uh, Shiite worshippers of Allah, think that by doing so they are removing their sins, they, uh, these prophets of Baal thought that there was a religious value to this, that the God would look upon it and be pre, uh, pleased and would grant them favor, and that the more that they did to injure themselves, the more the God answered. Now, this is something, I, I point this out because I want you to see this. False religion always injures its worshipers. Usually it does so spiritually, familially, in, the, in terms of, the, uh, of their worship. The, the, the idol consumes the worshiper. That's really what happens. The actual sacrifice, believe it or not, to the false god is the worshiper themselves. And in this case, they are literally cutting themselves, bleeding all over the place. Some of them probably would have passed out from blood loss after hours of dancing around and things like that. This is a harmful religion, uh, not just spiritually, but, but physically as well. Now, what about this ball? Can he answer prayer? And the answer is no. Absolutely not. No matter what they do, they can't get an answer. After everything that they've shouted, everything that they've done, every dance that they had done, every invocation, every ritual, there is no answer at all. Because their God is a God who is not. He is no God at all. And their failure to, the failure to get a response indicates Baal's absolute impotence. Because Baal is no thing. He is literally nothing. So therefore, his worshipers are worshiping, in the end, nothing at all. They think that they are being heard. They are not heard. And now it's been demonstrated that nothing that they do or they say can reach a God who is not there. I want to make two applications of, uh, of what we see here. Uh, first, uh, as I said, this scenario we see is, is eerily reminiscent of what's happening in Europe. Sometimes you, you watch... Uh, the things that go on abroad, just as you can watch now, unfortunately, in America, some of the things that are happening that just defy uh, imagination. There was a, uh, a recent contest, uh, a, a conflict between the worshippers of one nothing god and the worshippers of another nothing god that almost defies imagination. What had happened was London was holding uh, their, their final uh, big, for the, uh, the Gay Pride Month, their, their last London Gay Pride uh, event, and they had a double-decker bus leading, uh, and then the mayor of London and, you know, half-naked people dancing on top. Uh, the, you had there the, the, the ancient equivalent of the Asherah worshippers, the, the hedonists, the people who believe that the answers to, the, uh, to the, all of life's problems are to give yourself over into perverse sexual excess as much as you possibly could. And they're going down the, the street, and then suddenly the guile worshippers show up. And what do they do? They stand in front of the double-decker bus. They glue their hands to the pavement. 
These are the just stop oil people. And so you have two competing gods here. You have first, we've got the Asherah worshippers worshipping sexuality, then the Gaia worshippers who worship the creation and are willing to sacrifice themselves and all following generations unto these gods. What is going to happen between who's going to solve this contest? Who will answer? Well, we never got to find out, unfortunately, because the police intervened and they unglued their hands. The, uh, apparently, in the, uh, the way that the modern world, the nation of England, counts it, the, the Asher worshippers, the hedonists, the gay pride people, are slightly higher on the, the list, so they get to go ahead than the Just Stop Oil people. So the Bobbies came in and they marched all these Just Stop Oil people away. But the level of, of paganism that Europe and the West has descended into should break our hearts, that that's the kind of confrontation that's going on. But please note that. It wasn't Christians coming out and standing in the way of the double-decker bus. It was just stop oil people. As I said, the earth worshipers came out in order to stop this thing. And not for any reasons. They they're both agreed that there is no... <laughs> No real Christian God. They're absolutely set upon that. But it should break our hearts that we've come to that point. But I want you to know that there is a better way, brothers and sisters, to this day. The Lord's prophets, they may be reduced, but they're still there. There are people who still proclaim the truth. Even in England, there are people who proclaim the truth. I have friends who, uh, it, it, it's very sad, their churches are so small. They really are. Uh, an evangelical megachurch in the UK is 100 people. And I'm not joking uh, when I say that. But there are still men who are willing to proclaim the truth and to stand in the gap. And there should be here as well. I myself, uh, I am not Elijah but I am glad, and I tell you this in truth, that I worship the God who is there. I, I don't worship a God who tells me that I have to sacrifice my children. I don't worship a God who tells me I have to speak absurd lies and deny simple truths and declare to the world that men can have babies when everybody knows that's not the case. Uh, I don't worship a God who tells me uh, that having a large family is evil or that I have to eat bugs, or live in a microhouse, or forsake gas, or feel bad because I don't want to take part in sexual perversion. I don't worship a God who tells me I have to hate people because of the things that people who look like me did hundreds of years ago. Uh, I don't worship a God who cancels people because they don't think exactly the same thoughts that I think all the time in lockstep. My God doesn't say that I have to hate the accomplishments and the successes of architecture and literature and the music of the past in order to, to stack up points that prove my righteousness, my virtue in the midst of our culture. I don't have to be angry all the time. I don't have to bow the knee uh, before the state and political worship, uh, leaders and worship them and say that they are always right all the time. I, I don't have to cut myself or blow myself up in order to think that I have been saved. I don't serve a God anything like that. I'll tell you about the God that I serve. I worship the God who is there and who is not silent. 
I worship the God who made the heavens and the earth and sustains them to this day. I worship the Lord who suffered and died on the cross for my sins and then rose again from the dead for my justification. I worship the God who rescued his people from their sins and the God who, because of that sacrifice, to this day answers my prayers, answers the prayers of his people. The God who tells us we are made in his own image, that we are the treasure, the segula that he loves so much. We are the apple of his eye and that we are the peak of the creation. The God who tells us that we weren't created in order to serve the, the bald eagles and, and the, the blue whales. This world was given as a gift to us. And he tells us that it's good to marry and to multiply and to be fruitful. I, I serve the God who, who changes his people from the better, who takes them from people who hate and who lie and who cheat and who steal and who backbite and who strive for, for the things of this present age that are passing away and changes them into a people who love and who sacrifice and who are willing to tell people the truth even when it costs them everything. I worship the Lord Jesus Christ, the God who by his own example and who by the signs that he did showed that he was and is and always will be exactly who he says he is. The second person of the triune Godhead, the son of the father, the God who is there. And the one who said to me in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And I answered that call. I went to him, and I found that exactly what he told me was true. I took off, or no, I didn't take off anything. He took off the chains of sin, that would have sunk me lower than the grave from my shoulders. And he gave me his yoke, which was light and easy to bear. And I found out that what the psalmist said in Psalm 34, 5 is absolutely true. They looked to him and were radiant, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. When the worshipers of Baal cried out to their God, he did not hear them because he did not exist. He never has. He never will. But when people cry out to Christ, as I cried out to him, he does hear. He does answer. He does deliver. There have been so many occasions when the Lord has delivered me from the foolishness that I would have done, but has delivered me from sin has delivered me from a life that would have been purposeless, empty, full of sin, and ultimately just one long deceit, and has delivered me to the kingdom of heaven. And he will do that as well for you. But I do want to address last application for those of you who may be like the people in the northern kingdom who are on that mountain who are wavering between two opinions. And we may not even understand that they're wavering. When are we wavering? We're wavering when we do not give our heart entirely to the Lord God. When we do not follow Christ with all our heart. If you'll take a look for your, uh, at your folder in your Sabbath meditation this day. 
want you to hear some words from Phil Reich. And he said, when faced with such spiritual confusion in his day, Elijah demanded that people make up their minds. He made the same demand that Moses made when he came down from the mountain, saw the people of God worshiping a golden calf and said, who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. Joshua made the same demand after the death of Moses when he said to the children of Israel, choose this day whom you will serve. The same demand comes to every man, woman, and child in every generation. How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow him. Remember what the Lord Jesus Christ himself said, he who is not with me is against me, and and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Brothers and sisters, you are either with Christ or you are against him. And if you are with Christ, he deserves your entire heart. There should be nothing that you hold back from him. With God, it truly is all or nothing. He does not want a part-time worshiper. He wants you full-time. He wants you all the time. And he wants your whole heart. He wants your whole mind. He wants your soul and your strength. And please believe me, you cannot serve him, as the Puritan said, by halves. You cannot say, I'll give him this part of my life, but I'm not going to give him this part. There is one one way to, to show whether or not you are a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, As has been said by many, the true believer is not silent. He is not indecisive. He knows whom he worships, and he is willing to answer questions about his God, to tell others about him, to be willing to give an answer for the hope that he has or she has. Your willingness to speak of your God as Elijah did shows the entire world that you know him and that you believe in him? Do you confess the Lord Jesus Christ, not just privately to yourself behind closed doors, but are you willing to confess him to the entire world, come what may? Are you willing to take a stand? Because you have to in this age. I'm sorry, we are like the northern kingdom. We do see, as I said, all of these pagan religions rushing in. Sometimes they're false religions from overseas. We're dealing with an unprecedented influx of things like Islam and Buddhism and, and all sorts of different false religions of old. But now we are dealing with the rise of new pagan religions that are growing by leaps and bounds within our midst. And we cannot be silent If you ignore these things, they will not go away. Ronald Nash, uh, he was an apologist, um, and uh, he was one of my professors when I was at uh, at RTS Washington. He told me once, he was teaching an apologetics class, and their uh, their last uh, uh, assignment was to go and hear uh, somebody uh, who stood against the biblical worldview. Uh, and to uh, then do a paper, a response to what they had said. And the young man in the class uh, had asked uh, the professor, would you go with me? I want to go and hear this uh, famous liberal Methodist bishop who was going to be speaking in a church. Um, And uh, and (laughs) I said, okay, if you you want me to go with you, I'll be your Deborah. You know, so we'll go and we'll hear this this man uh, speak. And so uh, after this talk, uh, the bishop, you know, he, he delivered his pontification. I won't call it a sermon, but he stood at the door uh, being praised by people. And Nash said he was amazed that this, you know, uh, otherwise um, not, not a very uh, dominating, you know, young man or in any sense. Uh, but he was obviously, he was, he was incensed. He marched up to this bishop and he said to him, do you believe what you preached? 
Do you really believe that you don't have to believe in Jesus to be saved and that all religious beliefs are equally valid? And apparently the bishop, taking it back, looked at him and he said, Yes, of course. What do you believe, young man? To which he, he responded, he looked at him in the face and he said, I believe you're going to hell. <laughs> and the bishop turned to him very angry said, I, I should have said all beliefs except that one are equally valid. But brothers and sisters, please understand that, and, and that incidentally is a demonstration of something that I've seen happen again and again, that the Lord gives his people the words they need to speak at the right moment, and he'll put fire in your belly if it's necessary for that time. But be praying about that. Pray that you would be able to stand firm, that you would be able to walk a straight line in a crooked day. Remember what the Lord said. I, this is Isaiah 45, 5, and I'll finish on this. I am the Lord, and there is no other. There is no God besides me. I will gird you, though you have not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun to its setting that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create calamity. I, the Lord, do all these things. Stand firm in that Lord who does all things, who's in charge of the universe who provides the only way of salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. I pray this day you know him and that you are already enjoying serving him. But if not, waver no longer. Don't halt between two opinions. Go, go to the Lord now, the God who answers. Let's go before him. God, our gracious Father, I do pray now, Lord, that none of us would be indecisive when it comes to determining whether you are God or whether there are others. Lord, again and again, you have declared and proven that there is no God except you and that all the idols of the nations are empty. They're useless. They can't help their followers. They only bring misery into their lives. O oh Lord, therefore, we pray that you would bring to these people who serve you love, success, and not in the, in the worldly prosperity sense, but success in living a godly life, success in serving you, success in all that they do and they say for your sake. If the world doesn't like it, well, that's the way of the world. But may it be that they honor you with their lips and serve you with all of their might. May it be that we as a congregation declare and confess, come what may, no matter what it costs us, that there is one God and that we love him and will always worship him. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name.